Living a well-balanced lifestyle goes beyond ensuring your finances are in order. Welcome to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with Barbara Archer from Hightower. Barbara speaks with wellness industry leaders and related professionals to share more than financial planning advice. She addresses your questions about living a healthy lifestyle at any age. Learn how to gracefully maneuver life's challenges with support and resources to guide you along the way. Barbara and the team at Hightower help you make a plan, make an investment, and make a difference in your own wealth and well-being, and in your families, and within your community. Thank you for listening to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with Barbara Archer, sponsored by Hightower. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with your host, Barbara Archer from Hightower. Barbara, how are you? I am terrific, Eric, and how are you today? I'm doing fantastic. You and I got a chance to chat just a little bit before we hit the record button. I know you have an amazing guest on the show. I do. I'm so excited to introduce her. But before we get started, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. By all means. So, Eric, you're a father of two. I think you have a son and a daughter just like me, correct? I do. All right. Have you ever felt overwhelmed when you were raising them or frustrated with your young people if they struggled with friends or family conflicts, anxiety or behavior issues? Never. You ever had any of that? <laughs> never. My, my children were perfect angels, Barbara, and I never <laughs> lost any hair over this or you never noticed me go gray. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I don't know about you, but it's something new now that I didn't have to deal with as much when my children were younger, concern for our kids about digital etiquette and safety mm -hmm. and wondering about the values we're instilling in them. So these are just a few of the things that go through my mind as a parent. And are there any particular ones you've thought of? Well, I mean, it's they're inundated, right? On a daily basis, yeah. hourly basis, every minute, there there's messages being sent to them. And when my kids were kids, the biggest thing we had to deal with was when they got an old enough, oh my, they're going to have a cell phone at some point, right? Mm -hmm. But it was still one that was almost like a flip phone, right? They're texting on it and the texts were crazy, but now they can access anything, anything yeah. in a moment's yeah. notice and be, yeah, they're, yeah, it's they're bombarded <sighs> is what I feel. Well, the world has changed and we're going to address some of these things today because I am so excited to introduce you to our guest, Rosalind Wiseman. Rosalind is a multiple New York Times bestselling author whose publications include Queen Bees and Wannabes, Helping Your Daughter Survive Clicks, Gossip, Boyfriends, and the New Realities of Girl World. That was the basis for the movie Mean Girl. Mean Girls. You and I talked about that, remember? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. And then she followed up with Masterminds and Wingmen, helping our boys cope with schoolyard power, locker room tests, girlfriends, and the new rules of Boy World, which was awarded Best Parenting Book by Books for a Better Life. And this is really interesting to me. Rosalind has produced a social and emotional learning curriculum and co-founded Cultures of Dignity. It's an organization that partners with communities to reimagine how to bring dignity and social and emotional learning to all. And just this past fall, Rosalind co-authored with Shantara McBride a book called Courageous Discomfort, How to Have Brave, Life-Changing Conversations About Race and Racism. Now, Rosalind has been profiled in or written for Time, the New York Times, the Washington Post, among others, and appeared on the Today Show, CNN, Good Morning America, and National Public Radio. As a speaker here and abroad, 
Her audiences have included South by Southwest to the Royal Society for the Arts and from education associations to many times appearing at the White House across administrations. So are you impressed yet? Uh, yeah, this is, I'm, I'm feeling a little small. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd, I'd like to welcome to our show, Rosalind Wiseman. Rosalind, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Well, I have to tell you, I think of you as the parent whisperer. How did you become so fluent in parenting advice? Because I listen, I listened and listen to young people. I really don't do anything, write anything, say anything without about parenting, without running it by young people first. And then they tell me if what I'm saying is going to be effective. So basically I feel like I'm a bridge between parents and young people, even though I do, by the way, have two children myself, but <laughs> I have a 19 year old and a 21 year old. And I certainly like Eric have gone through my moments where, although I am definitely knowledgeable in my field and know a tremendous amount about adolescence and parenting and youth development, being a parent sometimes requires that you sometimes are not the person that your children go to because you can get so anxious about the things that they're saying that sometimes they need another person to talk to before they talk to us. Ah, okay. So listening, though, you mentioned right off the bat, and that's really important. So do you have some specific tips you can give us on how we can help strengthen that communication between parents and young people? Sure. So I define listening as being prepared to be changed by what we hear. And that is a very different definition than the way we tend to have it in our real lives, where listening can be just sort of waiting until the other person stops speaking. And then you tell them your thoughts and you're not really, really appreciating the things that they're saying or how they're saying it. And the pro and con of being in relationship with people that are so close to us, like our children, mm -hmm. is that they know us and what we think about things oftentimes before we even open our mouths. You know, so the way that we, you know, move our eyebrows, for example, can really tell our children a tremendous amount about, are we angry at them? Do we believe what they're saying? Do we not believe what they're saying? Um, what judgments have we made already? So I know that young people often think that parents have already made an assessment and a judgment about something even before the conversation has started. And that is a really difficult way to have a conversation where you really are listening to be prepared to be changed by what you hear. So I think one of the things that if you really, if you're really struggling, if you're really struggling with your kids about listening, I would say to them, and this is not giving authority away. This is actually ethical authority in, in role modeling this is that you say to them, do you feel like when we're having hard conversations that I am listening to you, that I am ready to change my opinion, that I'm, you know, that I haven't already made a judgment about the conversation. Do you feel that way? And then you've got to be ready to listen, right? Even if you wow. disagree, that you've got to be ready to listen, which doesn't mean you agree a hundred percent or they get what they want. Rosalind, you're saying to be ready to be changed. And I have to tell you, you're talking about as a parent, my children are in their thirties. Mm. I'm going to ask them this. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter what age. And I do have a question. Yeah. Do you have to practice like a resting face that 
like <laughs> is void of expression. Just curious. Well, so the void of expression phase is weird for kids, right? <laughs> so, so, um, and the resting phase sometimes cannot be like a resting neutral phase. It can sometimes mm-hmm. come across as being more negative. And especially if you have teenagers, they literally are physiologically predisposed to see faces that are neutral and see them as being more negative than you intend. It's one Mm. of the things that's really frustrating about and just the reality of working with or being in relationship with teenagers or people that are going through puberty. So that means that they could be much younger than what I just, if you're thinking teenage means 15, I'm actually talking about a kid who's starting to go or in the first set of their experiences of puberty. So we're talking like 11 and 12 and 13 wow. absolutely okay. is part of this, that they look at our faces and they can think that we are angrier than we actually are. So, so one of the things you can actually ask your kids is like, what do you think if you're not, if you're not responding right away, is like, what do you think I'm feeling right now? Like ask them what they sure. think they're reading from your face. But I would, I would do some thinking about like, how do you come across? And a lot of it is about body language and about like resting your shoulders and like having cure. If you are literally curious, if you are genuinely curious, it will come across in your face. Wow. That's fascinating. And I'm thinking about these conversations I'm going to have even with my adult children, where my daughter is much more the communicator and always told me everything. And my son is the strong, quiet type. So it's interesting to think about how I'm going to frame these conversations. I appreciate that. And I'm willing to be changed. It's all good. Thank you. (laughs) Well, you know, we want to raise children with good family values and teach them to be polite and respectful and inclusive. So how do we get our children to have that self-awareness or express their emotions and feel empathy towards others when sometimes as parents, we're struggling with this communication that you just mentioned. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, that's a huge, what a multifaceted, great question. So these are the things I think about emotions. And this is, this includes people who are the strong, silent type is that we all are processing in our lives emotions first. Emotions are physiological reactions in our brain. And then feelings are the response that we have to those emotions. And then our prefrontal cortex, our intellectual, what we think of as our more high level intellectual capacities are always filtered through the initial first physiological reactions of our emotions. So First, it's emotions, then feelings, and then thoughts. And it all happens very, very quickly. Wait, I want to get that again. Emotions, feelings, then thoughts. Yes. And it's, you know, actually, I mean, this goes into the weeds a little bit, but our Western philosophy, starting frankly with Plato, said that there was a belief that thoughts came first and that they then processed emotions. And actually what we know from brain, what we know about brain development now is that emotions really are physiological responses in the brain that are connected to hormones as well. And so then their feelings and then their thoughts. So even with the strong silent types who it feels like they're only intellectually responding, that's not true. Their emotions mm-hmm. or respond are the things that are starting first, and then they are processing through their, through their, their thoughts. And it's all just hap- It's happening quickly, Sure, but it speaks to why understanding the role of emotions is so incredibly important in all of our lives. And so this is what I would say to you about emotions is that emotions are real. 
that you can't, we can't say no matter what in our relationships, we can't say to another person, what you're feeling, what you're going through isn't, that's not, it's, you're being too super, you're being too sensitive or things like that. Resilience is important, but we don't build resilience with people by saying that they're not tough enough because that just makes them feel shame. And then okay. they shut down and then they can't listen. They literally cannot listen to anything that we're saying. So it is the feeling of emotions are real, but they can change. You can change the way that you feel. Their emotions are not necessarily permanent. And so the more words and the more aptitude and capacity you have to understand your emotions and articulate your emotions, the better able you are to do, to articulate them to yourself and then to other people. And so in that process, you are able much more to be able to manage yourself and be able to be present in relationships the way you want, especially in conflicts or when things are hard. And that's when really family values come into play is that family values are really important, not when things are easy, but when things are hard, right. when people are in conflict with each other or when people are anxious. Wow. Thank you. And do you have examples of those teachable moments where we can maybe help them find the right words to express emotions? And I don't know about you, but I, I've never liked it when someone would say to me, oh, don't feel sad. Really? Whoa. I am sad. I mean, I that. They, it's like. Why would you say that? But yeah, it happens. And I've heard people do that to children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, people need to have the feelings that they're going to have. And frankly, they're going to have the emotions they're going to have. So so it's, in, and really like, I want to reiterate that I, it's really important that children and all of us build resilience. And we seem to, across the political spectrum, are losing our resilience to be able to have like difficult conversations with each other. And, and so shutting people down about like, you can't have this feeling or you're weak or you're sensitive for, or overly sensitive for having this feeling does not actually get what we say we want, which is more independent, reliable, resilient people. All it does is makes people more reactive or more resentful or more ashamed. So it's, and then they, you know, what happens a lot of times is you sit on something and you sit on something and then one little small thing, but it's not small because you've been mm -hmm. mad about lots of things in the past for whatever reason, for whatever reason, it's an important reason, whatever it is, but you blow up about something small or one sure. little thing really gets you upset. And it snowballs. Sure. And it snowballs. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then it looks like you're blowing up about something small and then you get even more embarrassed or ashamed because you're like, why did I blow up about this little small <laughs> yeah. thing? So it's really important that we all do this for each. And what, are, and so the examples of, you know, you've got little kids and they don't get invited to something or they're not like, you know, they don't get they're They don't get in, invited into a group to play football, right. Or basketball or things that are really important to sure. six, seven year olds and 12 year olds, or you're not invited to a party and yeah, like it happens every day and you need to be able to deal with it, but it still hurts. It's still painful, especially by the way, in what you all were mentioning in the beginning is that there's going to be pictures everywhere on oh. social media about that party and about how fun the great time people had at that party, even if they didn't actually have a good time. So it's like, that's important. And then as you get older, the examples of your children not getting into, for example, the school that they wanted to get into or the college that you really wanted them to go mm -hmm. to. All of those things are like emotionally what we would call hijacking moments where you fast think and not slow think your way through it. And you're so upset and you can't figure like, why am I so upset? Those are all examples. Oh, wait a minute. We're having emotions and feelings before we even develop those thoughts. Exactly. So <laughs> and then you think even, like, why? even as adults, right? Which is what I just had 
a conversation with a parent who may be in the financial industry themselves, who is calling me to tell me, to ask my advice, because I happen to know their child and their child is phenomenal, phenomenal child. And that child happens to have applied to three universities that are very difficult to get into. Even the most extraordinary kids. I've known extraordinary students who have not gotten into these schools. And it was, and this person is a smart, thoughtful, lovely person, but both people, the parent and the child. And it was really, you know, the parent was like, I'm trying to, I I need to do everything I can to help this child. And I want to do it right. And they're such a wonderful parent. And you could feel the anxiety that they were feeling about this. And they intellectually know that their child is going to be more than okay at whatever school they end up. Oh, of course, but it's the moment. They intellectually, they know it, but emotionally, right. It just feels different and it's okay. I think the first step is to say, wow, you know what? I know better, but I'm still feeling this way. And it's real, but it's gonna, but it's going to move. I'm going, I'm not gonna be stuck in this feeling of anxiety forever. And, and so really- to acknowledge it, acknowledge yeah. those feelings. And it takes away the power of it. And also when you do that, you settle down and then your child sees that and they settle down. Well, I have to ask you this. I know you speak to parents and educators internationally, and you recently shared with me that you had spoken in Abu Dhabi and Beirut. So I'm just curious, are parents struggling with similar issues everywhere in the world that you have visited or are they different? Oh, well, so I have the great privilege of working for the United States State Department's Office of Overseas Schools. And that means that a part of my work is I go all over the world working with international schools where, you know, like where if you get sent as as a family in the United States, you get sent overseas and your child's going to a school over that they, there's some amount of professional development training that these schools do specific to the demographics of the students they go to. And, and for that reason, for example, yes, there are similarities that, you know, parents want their children. Well, let me say it to you this way. In the United States, we are very focused on our children being happy. And sometimes people in the United States get confused about what that means. And happy does not mean no failures and no disappointments. Happy does not mean your parent bails you out of every single thing, especially if your parent you. means to be able to do it is not an excuse to bail your children out. Because if you do, then your child is going to never have the confidence that they can handle things on their own. And I don't know about the, you know, if you are in, this is the way I see it. Cause I'm sort of selfish sometimes the way I parent, or I'm not selfish. I need to think about my own self, which I think is important. So if anybody who's listening to this takes care of their own parents, like their elderly parents, like my mm-hmm. husband and I, you know, or we all have these other responsibilities. <clears throat> it takes a lot of capacity and competence to be able to handle an elderly parent, right? Like caretaking, insurance, just getting through all that requires huge amounts of capacity and competence. So this is what I want people to think about. Imagine many, many, many years in the future, and you are dependent on your child for taking care of all of the things that you are currently now doing for your own parents. You need your child to be competent and capable of managing all of these things and perseverant and thoughtful and polite, but perseverant with all of the people that they're going to have to talk to to help you and make sure that you get the care that you need when you are old. So you cannot enable them now. <laughs> no, that's terrific. It's good perspective. And it's one of the things I can remember saying to my children, 
yes, this is a consequence of the decision you made. So they well, have to I, suffer consequences. I said to my 19 year old this summer, that's unfortunate so many times that I, it was hard not to smile when I said it, as I watched him, as I watched him really in all seriousness, he really struggled his freshman year and he had to have consequences for it. And the world was giving him consequences and I could not bail him out of that because ultimately that would say to him and signal to him that I didn't have confidence in him, that he would be able to figure it out. Excuse the interruption. I know you're listening to High Towers, keeping the well and wealthy podcast. But if you have questions related to these or other wellness and financial issues, please reach out to your advisor or go to hightoweradvisors.com to find a financial advisor near you. Now, back to Barbara. Wow, it's hard, isn't it? And one of my favorite lines is, I trust that you will make the right decision for you. Oh, yeah, it's a good one. (laughs) Yeah, I have to, because otherwise, you know, either way, Rosalind, let's face it, it'll be my fault if I give advice, right? right, Whether it's right or wrong. Right. There you have to really watch your face and your tone of voice, because (laughs) dealing with like the fourth time they've done something, they're like, are you kidding me? You got to be like, well, that's an unfortunate situation that you've been, you've gotten yourself into. And I'm, I think I have, I do believe you're going to figure this out. But you can't smile the way I'm smiling right now. (laughs) No, no, we can't. And we can't be laughing and having a good time with us. But I do have to ask you, because of Mean Girls, Mm -hmm. can you just talk a few minutes about bullying? How do you know if your own child's being bullied or if they are the bully? Are there some warning signs we all need to be kind of perked up and aware about? Well, I mean, I think that, I mean, there's a couple of things. I mean, I think... There's not one thing that is going to signal for sure that your child is socially aggressive and and bullying. Let me back up a second, which is that everything is not bullying. And one of the things that is very frustrating for teachers in schools is that, well, and it's also collectively, we have not been very good about talking about bullying and the education that we received and young people receive has not, for the most part, been very realistic. And that's why young people, one of the, and if you're listening to this, ask your child and see if I'm right about this. I mean, I could be wrong, but most kids I know will say, well, we got the bullying, we got the bullying assembly in second grade and we know we're not supposed to do X and Y and, you know, people are whatever. And that's basically the answer. But there's, this is the way I define bullying is it is an imbalance of power where you're, you're abusing power against another person. And it's, it is always against that person's identity. Mm. It is about their race, their religion, like who they are, their gender expression, their sexual orientation, where they come from, where they're perceived to come from. So it's their socioeconomic status. So it's always about who they are perceived to be in their identity, which is why it is so incredibly important because it is saying to another person, the way that you are, the way that I think you are, you aren't allowed to be that. You don't get a, you don't get a sense or recognition of worth of dignity because of this this connection I have to this identity that I think I'm saying is not it's not okay it's not worthy wow. I get to humiliate you I get to dismiss you I get to say words that you know I get to joke about and say oh, I didn't really mean it when you really did mean it or you know that it's really going to land and cut and hurt. So that's why it matters. And that's what bullying is. But, and that's very hurtful, obviously, and really painful to the child and not only the child, but it also is really silencing oftentimes to all the kids around it. But Mm. there's other social aggression. There's being rude, 
which is being, which young people that I work say that it is unintentionally excluding somebody or being hurtful to somebody. There's being rude, which is, I mean, excuse me, being mean, which is intentionally doing those things. There's drama, which is like hurtful to the two people involved, but it's sort of entertaining to everybody else. And then there's bullying. So I think when you have that, when you're wondering, I think that it's really important to distinguish those things for your children. Cause when you go to school and you say like, my kid's being bullied, lots of times the schools just get like every, okay, yeah. What does that mean? Right. And so mm-hmm. it's really hard for them. And so if you would, I'm not excusing schools, I'm saying it's complex and we need to give, everybody needs to get, give each other a break to be able to figure out what's really going on. And so for young people, I would say to them, you know, if I was, if, when, as a parent, I would say, and I did say, you know, as you know, if your kids 10, eight, eight, nine, you can always do this, but do it age appropriately is, you know, you're getting older, things are more complicated now. And if somebody's doing something to somebody where that you don't feel like, so I would say to your child, as they're getting older, you're older now, things are getting more complex. And if you feel like somebody is going after you, is not letting you feel comfortable in your space or somebody else, or like they're saying that something about who you are, that's not okay, or they're doing that to somebody else, then that's something that I want to know about. And I'm not going to freak out and I'm not going to call the school right away or send some email. We're going to think about how we handle this in a way that you feel good about. And we feel like we both are treating you and everybody with dignity, with worth that we're acknowledging the situation that they're in. But, and I'm not, I promise you, I'm not going to just rush out and start doing things. And if you do that, I'm really going to, that's going to be really important to me so that we can work through all of this as you get older. And I want to be more and more of a support to you in the way that makes sense for you. Oh, that's so helpful. I appreciate that. And with bullying, cyberbullying, and all of the social, as you mentioned, being excluded from a party and looking at everyone else, excuse me, that can be just so unsettling, not only for the child, but then they get upset and it upsets the parents and, you know, it makes for a very bad day. Very bad day. And it's not necessarily bullying when your child is being, it's not necessarily bullying when you're not invited to a party, but it's still hurtful and your child still has their feelings and they have the right to those feelings. But I would say as a parent, you do not have a right to use your feelings about your child being excluded to then be mean to another child, say bad things about that child, say bad things about that family, because there's way too many parents who justify self-righteous temper tantrums about their parenting. And we really have- Wait a minute, Rosalind, you want us to be the adult? We want, I- (laughs) Is that what you're asking of us? I really need (laughs) people to be adults. Oh my gosh, because our kids are suffering and because like you only need to watch what is happening in school board meetings or in PTA meetings where the kids are getting lost in the process because parents feel that they're, you know, well-intentioned. I might disagree with them, but they feel about what they're fighting about or what they are advocating for. But the way in which they are doing that shutting down other children, shutting down parents. There's no justification as an adult of having bad manners. They're just- Absolutely. And so I just really feel, and the thing that's amazing to me that we really need to hone in on is our children obviously are watching us, but not only are we poor role modeling, but our children are much less likely to come to us for help if they think that we are going to freak out about- Oh, absolutely. 
I, I have a business partner. He and I kind of laugh. One of us will say we're really upset or angry or hurt or something that day. And I'll say, oh, it's okay. I'll be the adult. It's okay. <laughs> you know, chill. Yes. I'll be the adult right now. So uh, I think that's so important. So do you have some suggestions on managing technology use in general with our children? Because it's hard yeah, to be yeah, on top of yeah. them. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, yeah. So here's my 19 year old recently said to me, I think it was this summer. He said to me, I wish you had given me a cell phone later. Like I really should, you should not have given me the cell phone in seventh grade. You really should have given it to me in like eighth or ninth grade. I was like, oh, really? Mm, right. <laughs> you remember those years? <laughs> and we gave them, and I remember just like every parent of like, oh my gosh, when do I do this? And my kids remember, like we were at the generation when self, when iPhones were coming out in 2007 was when my older one was in middle school. And, and so, you know, and I'm very hesitant until now, I have been very hesitant to say one thing is responsible for one other thing, right? Because usually there's an integrated reasons, there's multiple reasons why things are why the way they are. But it is absolutely clear that once we were given those phones, that our mental health, all of our mental health is starting to deteriorate in many ways. And for young people, this has absolutely been clear. And we know, and young people know, that Instagram mm. knew that it was impacting their uh, mental health in a harmful way. And yet Instagram did it anyway. They wow. know. I just want us to realize that young people have absolute knowledge, confirmed knowledge. They knew, they knew anyway, but confirmed knowledge that there were adults who are creating things for them on purpose to get them attracted to an app so that their attention will be would be held, that they knew would be detrimental to their mental health. And those adults did it anyway for money. Wow. And I, I really that's that's a terrifying thought. That is, it, it's not like, right. It's not like kids are sort of knew it. It's that kids know it. Young people know that adults have consistently done things like this. And it's not to say that our relationships with them aren't important because they really are. They're actually more important for this reason, but it is not, it's not okay for social media executives to you know, now that they've had their own children, many of them are doing documentaries lamenting how terrible it was. And they knew that it was happening. Ugh. That's not, I think of that as like a lot, a little, much too little, way too late. So it is, so when we think about this stuff, we also need to think about that we ourselves, I mean, I want you to think about how adults, how like what relationships I'm sure you have met people or reconnected with people we all have that have been very important on social media. hundred percent. That's true. But I also want us to really feel who are the people and the relationships that we have lost because of something that we feel that they've said, or like the way in which we and them have been rage have become rageful on social media and not that people shouldn't be held responsible for their actions on social media. They should, but I also think we need to create, understand and appreciate the context in which we have been fed a way to be enrageful with each other that's in the background that I think a lot of adults don't really appreciate when we are interacting with it. Wow. So all of that to say, like we need to, when we say we, like if you're going to have a rule about not having cell phones at the table for the dinner during dinner for your kids, that has to include you as well. And I don't care how important your work is. And it's like, if well, you're it's one of those teaching moments, there oh, you go. Gosh, right. Yeah. Like, we're modeling. 
modeling you're modeling it. and I know you people think their work is important, but that's what young people's they think for their homework and their friends. So we have to be consistent. We, well, I would strongly suggest not saying to young people, well, you know, you're addicted to social media because we are too. And so, um, and so together you are coming, you're the parent, you are the ultimate authority, but you are the ultimate role model and consistent rule follower. So they really have to be based on principles. And those principles are, this is what I think is that social media, I would, let me go back. Cause there's so much to say about it. I would hold off as absolutely late as possible, giving them any kind of social media. Great. That includes game consoles because that's the same thing as a cell phone. All so, right. Put it off as long as we can. And that's what kids are telling me now, which is just so sad. And then the second is that when they get it, that you also don't have to have them have every app. Okay, fine. Yes. They're going to like, don't, I would not get them some Instagram. I just hate, I'm on Instagram and it is so, I am always in conflict with, I am using a tool I am using a tool to reach out to young people that I know also hurts young people and hurts all of us. And it's a really hard, it's a really hard conflict to be in that we've got. So you're not, you're not just watching puppy videos. Feel good. Okay. Right. Right. And so it's, yeah, I just think that Mm -hmm. you don't have to give them every app. You don't have to, um, and they're going to say, but all my friends are on it. And you're going to say, yes, that's true. And they're going to say, well, they're going to show it to me in school. And you're going to say, yes, that's also true. And they're going to say, well, that's the way that I communicate. And you're going to say, yep, I know that's also true. But you can tap, if you have a phone, they can text you. Actually, texting is okay. You can actually put the effort into texting. I know it seems very difficult, but you can text. So there's just all sorts of modifications that I think we need to be making because some of these apps are absolutely clearly showing that they are bad for our children's mental health. Well, thank you for sharing that. So Rosalind, you have been such an informative guest and so gracious to share your wisdom and experience on parenting. This will undoubtedly assist us with better relationships with our children and help us all stay healthier. So I have to ask you, what do you do to keep your well and wealthy? Oh, well... I do something that is I'm that is a little embarrassing, or it used to be. Now it's not so embarrassing. Is I dance. I dance. Oh. Like, you know, I, I dance today. I went to a dance class today, so I go like three or four times a week. And when I first started, I felt really self conscious because I'm not good. And but I go and I go for I go all the time. And that is definitely in, with the community that's there, but also just doing something that's playful. Yes. And I'm not good at, and I particularly am not good at. And I have no desire, like I don't have like these expectations where I need to be really good at it. I really, really think that's what keeps me dance up. like nobody's looking at you. Exactly. That's exactly. it. Well, we'll get together sometime and dance. I love okay. to dance. So there you go. Especially okay. the girl dancing. Absolutely. So Thank you. And so what's the best way for people to reach out to learn more? Oh, what's the best website? Well, my website, rosalindwiseman.com. Okay. Um, we'll put that in the podcast notes. Yes. And then if you're interested in the educational work that my organization does, it's culturesofdignity.com. Thank you so much. Well, thank, thank you. you. I just appreciated all you've shared with us today. And before we sign off, I'm going to ask Eric 
that father of two as well, <laughs> what questions he might have for you, Eric? Well, I don't have a question, Rosalind. This has just been fantastic. I don't have a question. I have a statement because at the very beginning, you guys gave me some flashbacks of when I was a kid. My father tried his best to keep a straight face when I was when he was having to deal with me. And that's how it was. He was having to deal with me. But there was a telltale vein in his forehead. And the larger it got, the quicker I would run, right? I would wait till it get to a peak <laughs> point where I'm like, it's time to go because yeah. oh. something's about to happen and it's not a good thing. So yeah. that, that made me chuckle. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time today. You've been so gracious and giving of your time. Barbara, of course, thank you so much for facilitating this, being an amazing host. And of course, our last thank you goes to you listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to Keeping the Well and Wealthy with Barbara Archer. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Barbara comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask you to share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Hightower, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to go out in the world and make a difference. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Keeping the Well in Wealthy with Barbara Archer, sponsored by Hightower. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Hightower Wealth Advisors. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Hightower Wealth Advisors is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is neither indicative nor a guarantee of future results. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data or other information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other data or information contained in this presentation is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. Hightower Wealth Advisors and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. Hightower Wealth Advisors and Hightower Advisors LLC assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to this information. The information is provided as of the date referenced in the document. Such data and other information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed herein are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material is not intended or written to provide and should not be relied upon or used as a substitute for tax or legal advice. Information contained herein does not consider an individual's or entity's specific circumstances or applicable governing law, which may vary from jurisdiction to jurisdiction and be subject to change. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor for related questions.